Well, happy Easter. I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, my name is Rob Wheeler, in case you don't know me. And for the next so many minutes, we're going to be taking a look at the Bible and relating it to our lives. Let me begin by asking you, do you have a life plan? Now, you might not have a detailed step-by-step life plan, but we all have desires, aspirations, what we would like to see happen, and even some form of understanding of what matters most to us. And I would suggest to you that that is an expression of your life plan. Now, our life plan changes. It, it modifies along the way. I remember when I was back in college, my life plan essentially was to get good grades and to date the most beautiful girl who would say yes to me. And uh, sometime later, my wife Katie did say yes to me. We got married, so I got to check that box. But as you become a parent, uh, it, it, it morphs more into launching your kids, setting them up well for life, and then you start approaching those retirement years and you start thinking through your financial stability and whether or not you'll be able to retire and what you want to do with your time. And then you stop really thinking about your kids at all and think all about the grandkids. So as we look at the scriptures today, the Bible, we're going to look at a beautiful psalm, Psalm 16, that talks about life plans. And essentially, it says that there are two life plans. There's plan A, which is life with God, and there's plan B, which is life on your own. And in this psalm, the writer David beautifully expresses why plan A is only the really good option if you want to have the best sort of life possible. So let's take a look at this. Let's unpack it. And we'll begin by thinking about this question, where can you go when the bottom falls out? Now, that's a pretty important question because if you know anything about life, you know that life presents a lot of different difficulties. There's a lot of turn of events. We, we set out our life plan and then life throws a monkey wrench into the plan. We're living in that right now. Uh, no one predicted this COVID-19 pandemic that we're going through. No one wanted it. No one wanted the stay-at-home orders. We certainly didn't wish uh, the death rates or the infection rates upon anyone. In fact, I mean, as I was envisioning 2020, it just wasn't even on the radar. But that's the one thing that you can be certain of in life is that life is uncertain. So again, where can you go when the bottom falls out? Well, David tells us where he goes. He says in Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2, and this will be up there for you, Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. Now, that language, keep me safe, and I have come to you for refuge, is language that we would use when life has become exceptionally difficult. And notice what David tells us. There's only one place for him when the bottom falls out. He, he doesn't go about considering his options. Uh, he doesn't get on to um, TED Talks or podcasts and try to discern what the latest and greatest thinkers are saying. He doesn't say, 
I've got this. I'm all set. No, when you look at David, there is only one source of safety for him, and that's God. If we were to put this in investment uh, terminologies, David does something that's unthinkable. He does not diversify his portfolio. Essentially, every single dollar is riding on the God fund. And according to the Bible, that represents a brilliant life plan. Now, why does David go this route? Well, in verses 3 and 4, he looks at the two approaches to life, the two ways to live. In verse 3, he says, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. Now, the godly people represent the life with God types. And uh, if you think of someone being your hero, of course, they're someone that you view as exemplary. He then goes on to say in verse 4, troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Now, they represent the life on your own category. And I, I would put them there because these people are essentially inventing the kind of God that they want to worship. And if you're inventing the God that you want to worship, you're basically just living life on your own terms. So it would be no different than today to say, you know, I, I don't really need God in my life, or I've placed God on a back shelf in my life, or even to say something like, I don't believe in God at all. But what does David notice? He looks at the people who know God. He looks at their life and he sees that, yes, they go through the same difficulties as these plan B people, but life with God makes the real difference for them. They face the uncertainties. They face the bottom out moments differently. The people who are setting their own rules, living on their own terms, they come to find out that their solutions just aren't good enough. And you know, I think that many people around the world are in that place right now. They're, they're starting to realize that their solutions aren't working. And so what are they doing? Well, they're reconsidering God. They're reconnecting with God, even considering God for the first time. I've heard tons of different examples of this, but let me give you one example. An article I read was looking at Bible sales in the state of California, and it's a company that deals with individual books of the Bible and selling those to the Instagram generation. And they observed that their sales have increased by 143% compared to last year. Why? Because people are looking for hope in this life-altering and unprecedented pandemic. And if you're one of those people, I want to tell you, I'm really glad that you're listening in. I'm glad that you're giving me an opportunity to share the Bible with you. You know, right now, people all over the world are choosing to radically change their worldview to insert God into the picture. I recently came across a letter from a doctor from Italy, Dr. Julian Urban in Lombardy. And, and this letter can be traced back to a Facebook post by a Christian worker who received this letter from a missionary in Italy who is an Italian resident. 
And this is what Dr. Urban writes. Never in the darkest nightmares did I imagine that I could see and live what has been happening here in our hospital for three weeks. The, might, the nightmare is flowing. The river is getting bigger and bigger. Until two weeks ago, my colleagues and I were atheists. It was normal because we were doctors and we learned science and science has told us to exclude the presence of God. I would even laugh at my parents when they would go to church. But then Dr. Urban was exposed to the testimony of a pastor who came in infected with COVID-19. He writes, nine days ago, a 75-year-old pastor came to us, a gentle man. He had great respiratory problems. He had a Bible, and we were impressed that he read it to the dying, and they took him by the hand. As all the new doctors were tired, discouraged, psychologically and physically exhausted, when we had time, we would listen to the pastor. And watching him, hearing the message about God from the Bible, Dr. Julian's heart changed. Now we have to admit that we have reached our limits. We realize that we need God and we begin to ask ourselves questions. We cannot believe that from ferocious atheists we have become believers to find our peace, asking the Lord to help us resist so that we can take care of the sick. I'm happy to have returned to God while surrounded by the suffering and death of my fellow man. Where can you turn when the bottom falls out? Well, as people all over the world are discovering as David recognized thousands of years ago, there's one place, and it's God. And when you do life with God, there are so many benefits to you. David unpacks these as we move through this psalm. Uh, he notices first that life with God offers true contentment. Listen to verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. You see, when you try to do life on your own terms, you can tend to bounce between two extremes when it comes to your levels of happiness. When life is good, uh, psychologists tell us that we tend to mispredict what will make us happy. We assume that if we achieve enough, then we'll be happy. And I call this the if-then mindset. You know, if I get that school, that college of my dreams, then I will get into the career pathway that I've always wanted to be a part of. Or if I make vice president with the company, then I will have climbed the ladder high enough to make me happy. Or if I get that beautiful uh, oceanfront home in Katuit or Osterville, and I can just walk out and experience the beach and all that kind of stuff, then my life is going to be the kind of life that I've always wanted to live. Well, as Harvard psychologist Sean Aker observes, this if-then perspective cannot be supported by science because each time our brain experiences a success, it moves the goalposts. So basically, you go back to that VP, and he becomes VP, she becomes VP, and now they want to be president. 
Now you go to the other extreme that affects our happiness, and I call this extreme worry. You see, when the bottom falls out, we can descend into a cloud of anxiety because we no longer feel like we're in control. Now, writing about worry, uh, an author, Philip Riken, tells us this, worry is a thief. It steals our time. Our thoughts turn to our troubles. We lie awake at night, anxious about tomorrow, and then we get up too tired to work hard, and this only adds to our anxiety. So what's the antidote to this? What's the antidote to the vicious cycle of the if-thens and the antidote to worry that really infects all of us? And David shows us in this passage that the antidote is contentment. Now, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. And you see in this that David experiences that. He says, the land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. Meaning he's not shifting the goalposts. He's pleased with all that God has given him. He's not worried that God's not going to ever give him enough. And this experience of contentment is not Pollyannish. He's He's not one of those people that's just had a string of really good luck through most of his life or just has that half, uh, the glass half full outlook. No, David dealt with serious hardship. He grew up in a home that was difficult. He, he was chased by an enemy for much of his formative years. His first marriage went really sour He had children that just completely fell apart. In fact, one of his own children tried to take his life. So that's not an easy life. But despite all of those bottom-out moments, David found strength and joy in one place. He said, Lord, you alone are my inheritance. C.S. Lewis said something similar. He wrote during World War II, when, of course, the world was going through yet another very difficult time, a great influencer in this time. He said, He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. Let's move forward. Let me ask you a couple of questions about your experience right now because, again, we're talking about the bottom falling out. Um, Have you lost your job? Are you dealing with just the the fear and apprehension of unemployment and what is that going to look like and and how am I going to respond to that? What am I going to do? Maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum and you were coming close to retirement and you watched that Dow just plunge in a matter of weeks and now you're asking, how am I going to get to that place of retirement right now? Or, Or maybe there's a loved one in your life that you're just really worried about that may get infected with COVID-19. Or your mom and dad and you're, you're at home and your kids are uh, doing school virtually and you're trying to work your job from home. And, and how do you balance all these things? Life was already complicated enough, but then we just threw all of this into the picture. And here's the deal. It doesn't take a pandemic for life to feel like this. In fact, there are so many times when we don't know what to do or where to turn. And David says, in that time, 
you need God in your life. Why? Because life with God offers counsel and support. David says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I, sh- I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Now that word night could mean praying at night, but it could also be a metaphor for sickness and, and loneliness and life-threatening uh, experiences that, that seem to make the world feel like all the lights have turned off. You know, life is full of nighttime moments. I'm sure you've had your nighttime moments. I've had my nighttime moments. One that just stands above the rest for me was over five years ago when I received a phone call from my mom and she said, I have cancer. And you're never expecting that phone call. I, I in the moment, tried to be brave and courageous and say to her, you know, mom, everything's going to be okay. We're going to fight this together. We're going to beat this cancer. But when you hang out that phone, your knees wobble. You feel uncertain and you know where your mind goes. How's this going to go? Why is this happening right now? It just doesn't make sense. She's a great woman. And I got to tell you, friend, I just don't know how, how people that are trying to do life on their, their own live with those kinds of moments. Where do you turn? Where's your hope? Well, in my case, I could turn to the God of the universe. I knew comforting scriptures like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And David goes on in that psalm and says, even when I walk through the, the darkest valley, those night moments, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, friend, I got to tell you this. We're not just talking about God being available to you in these night moments. I'm talking about God being with you, always present, there to lend you counsel, to hear your heart to go through the situation with you. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You can entrust yourself to his care and protection. And and that was the type of peace that led me to stand strong when she was going through surgeries and, and treatments and recovery processes. Why did I feel so strong? Because I knew God loved her more than I did. And uh, here's what's wonderful. He loves you in that same way too. He wants to invite you into that love relationship with him. When you put God at the center of your life, that's what happens. And and, and it goes beyond even just the, the present experience of God's presence. You know, when my mom was going through cancer, yes, praise God, we're five years from removed from that, and she is doing great today. But I had a level of certainty even when I didn't know the ultimate outcome. I had a confidence that was bigger than just the treatments that were involved. And David tells us where our ultimate confidence is. This is his next point. Life with God offers ultimate confidence. Listen to what he says 
No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forevermore. Now in these verses, David shares that he rests in safety. Now that is the state of well-being that comes when you are confident. Now there's false forms of confidence. And I got to tell you, I think as a nation, if we're being honest with ourselves, we have been falsely confident. And this pandemic exposed that to us. I mean, we put too much confidence in our economic engines, our medicines, our science, our technology, our industry, our stockpiles. And this has been a huge object lesson. And it's this, that if we rest our confidence in ourselves, we will ultimately disappoint ourselves. There's plenty of problems that we can solve, plenty of advances that we've made, but it only takes one little microbe to change everything. And certainly, no one can solve the ultimate problem, that we will all die one day. Earlier in the year, I I read a book, Lifespan. The author, uh, David Sinclair, a geneticist who studies the biology of aging at Harvard Medical School, He exposed me to some incredible science that suggests human lifespan could be extended. Basically, our bodies have the capacity to live far longer than we are presently experiencing. And um, he then went from there and and casted vision around what would it be like if, if we lived longer and we experienced more health, even up to 200 years I got to tell you, as I was listening to the book, I was still left wanting. Because even if I live 200 years, extending life isn't going to solve the problem of death. Accidents still happen. Illnesses still take life in the world we live in. And, and that doesn't deal with any of the problems that we put upon ourselves, like like fighting and, and wars and hatred and anger and other things we deal with, like depression. How do you deal with those unsolvable problems? Well, I, I think the, the answer is, is that we can't hope in ourselves. We need a hope that is beyond ourselves. We need the God that David is looking to, that David is banking on solely. He is confident because he believes, look at verse 10, that God will not forsake his soul. That's ultimate hope. That's hope that you can bank on. You see, Sinclair was partially right. There there is a need that, that, or we were created to experience lifespans. And I think that's incredible that the Bible talks about that, that, that we were made to live much longer than we experience now. In fact, the Bible says that those lifespans are meant to be eternal. Here's the problem. Our lives have been fundamentally corrupted. Our relationship with God has been absolutely destroyed. 
because of a bigger problem called sin. Now, sin in the Bible can basically be defined like this. It's every thought, action, or attitude that we take that rejects God's right to rule our lives. So you think of all those individual manifestations of sin, like lying, cheating, again, hatred, anger, those types of things. Those flow out of a more fundamental problem. If you were going to cure someone and you just kind of topically dealt with uh, some of the, the results of a virus like stuffy nose, fever, but you didn't take care of the actual virus, you wouldn't be doing them any good. And so the Bible tells us that we have this bias, we have this problem, we have corrupted souls. That's the ultimate problem. How do you deal with the ultimate problem? What if God has presented us or given us a vaccine so that we could be made right with him, so that that fundamental corruption that lives within each one of us could be removed? Wouldn't you want that vaccine? Wouldn't you want to be in right relationship with God? I think you would. Well, how, do, how does that happen? Well, I want you to listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans chapter 6. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin telling you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise! A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus our Master. Now, in that passage, Paul is speaking to people who have taken God up on that offer, who have allowed God to give them the vaccine, essentially. And, and what these people discovered, they discovered something profound, that, that life with God hinges on Jesus. What does that mean? It means it all rests on Jesus. So do you want to have God in your life? Do you want that whole, healed, well-put-together life now and, and more and more life on the way? Do you want real life, eternal life? The, the total message of the Bible is this. If you want that relationship with God that David's talking about in Psalm 16, then you need Jesus. And what is amazing about this psalm is that Psalm 16 actually points to Jesus. And it's incredible because David wrote this psalm a thousand years before Jesus. But you get a sense while you're reading it, especially verse 10, that it doesn't fully apply to David. David, of course, died and he did not rise from the dead. Did you know that Jesus' apostle Peter recognized this about Psalm, 19, uh, Psalm 16 in that first sermon that he preached right after the resurrection. He, he quotes Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11. He says, you can be sure that the patriarch David 
wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And what did he see? What did David see? Well, Peter explains David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. That's why we celebrate Easter. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Friends, to fully appreciate Easter, to fully appreciate Jesus' resurrection, you must fully appreciate why Jesus, who is God, came to live on this earth and to die a bloody death on the cross. As you look at that sermon that Peter preached, the first sermon that he preached, his words, it says, pierced the hearts of people and they said to him, what should we do? Well, that's a great question. And that's a question that I hope you're asking right now. You see, the gospel is an invitation to heaven. You can think of it like an RSVP. Imagine that you receive an RSVP to the party of a lifetime. I mean, this is going to be a high class affair. And as time passes, you make a mistake and you forget to respond to the RSVP. Now you go to the event, you show up at the door, it looks beautiful, you cannot wait to get inside, but the host stops you at the door and says to you, I don't see your name on the list. Did you respond to the RSVP? Friend, imagine how you'd feel. You'd be turned away. You wouldn't be able to experience this party of a lifetime. But imagine how much worse it would be if you didn't respond to heaven's RSVP by placing your faith in Jesus. Imagine standing before the God of the universe and he opens up his book of life and says, I don't see your name on the list. Well, what should you do? How can you respond to heaven's RSVP? Let me share a couple of points with you so that you can do that right now. First, realize that you are not God and that you are powerless to achieve God's favor or earn his forgiveness. And Romans 3.23 says that we're all in the same place. We're all in need of God's forgiveness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God or God's glorious standards. So once you recognize that, then too, believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he is risen from the dead, and that Jesus is the only way to respond to heaven's RSVP. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, if you're listening to that and you're saying to yourself, I need to have faith in Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I want to invite you to respond. Number three, in a prayerful moment, turn your life and will over to the care and control of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Allow him to work in and through you. And you can do that right now where you're sitting. If God is speaking to you right now, if he's knocking on the door of your heart, if you will, tugging at you, respond to God with me by praying this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only Savior and the risen Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to come into my life at this moment as best as I know how. I turn my life over to your care and control. Amen. Well, friend, if you responded to that, if you put your faith in Jesus today, guess what? You just put God at the center of your life plan. And here's the thing. This is just the beginning of a wonderful, radical, loving relationship with God through Jesus. And as pastor of Osterville Baptist Church, speaking on behalf of this church, we would love to walk in this journey with you. In fact, I would invite you to go to our website, www.ostervillebaptist.org and just learn a little bit more about us because we've come to believe that everything that matters in this life is about this change, this transformation that we've discussed this morning that comes only through Jesus. And uh, what makes the journey even better is doing the journey with other Christians. So please Go to the website, learn more about us. And when we're able to gather together again, I would love to get to meet you.